Welcome to Pet Lover Geek, my fellow pet parents. I'm so excited you joined us for today's show. Our topic for the day is the science of pet food, specifically dog food. You know, for many pet parents, what we choose to feed our dogs is a really personal, even emotional thing. And I've seen more passionate discussions and downright arguments on social media about the choices of pet food than anything else, frankly. And you know me. I I am a passionate gal, but I'm really passionate about the science behind things. So today, I want to dig in and explore the studies behind pet food. I want to look at the science that's there, that veterinary science that tells us why we are feeding our dogs what we're feeding. So that when we get to that pet food aisle, we have a little bit of an idea what we're looking at. But before we get into that, I want to go back in time just a little bit. I want to talk about how we got started with this whole idea of commercial pet food. So back in the 1850s, this dude from Cincinnati named James Spratt was in London selling lightning rods, of all things. And he came up with an idea how to make money. He decided that he was going to take the stuff that's called you know, hard tack. It's these biscuits that are used by sailors. It's essentially like flour and water and salt. And he decided to turn these into a dog biscuit to make money off of the really quickly growing market of urban dog owners. So in 1860, he launched what's called Spratt's Patent Meal Fibrine Dog Cakes. And the pet food industry was born. Now, skip forward to today. It's more than just dog cakes. It's more than just biscuits, as we all know. That pet food industry this year in the United States is on track to make $24 billion, that's billion with a B, dollars in the U.S. alone. And that accounts for more than a third of the money that is going to be spent on our pets this year. It's incredible. And when I went to look just today on dogfoodadvisor.com, there were over 700 main entries for dog foods. And each of those entries had anywhere from four to dozens of sub-entries of styles and flavors and stuff. I mean, there are so many choices and so many options nowadays, and there's a ton of really heavy-hitting marketing out there. It can be downright overwhelming. So to help us navigate the dog food aisle, And to also help us navigate the wilds of internet opinion about pet feeding, I've invited noted veterinary nutritionist Lisa Weath to the show. By the way, you can check out her terrific website. It's called Weath Nutrition. That's W-E-E-T-H nutrition.com. Dr. Weath, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really excited to have you on. As I mentioned, the pet food aisle can be really confusing. I remember when I was a kid, there were maybe a handful, two, three, four brands at best that were out there at the grocery store. And you just basically had to choose from puppy food or adult dog food. And now Mm -hmm. the choices are overwhelming. I mean, where does one even begin to know where to start? You've got premium and complete and balanced and grain-free and natural and a whole slew of other marketing terms. And I, I want to know, when I'm looking at this really cool-looking bag that I'm pulling off the shelf, is it really meeting my dog's nutritional needs? How do I know? Well, I, you know, the one thing I would say is that you know, we've come a long way since Spratt's Biscuits and since the early dog food industry and, and pet food industry. And at the time that those Spratt's Biscuits were developed, 
the, the field of nutrition was just in its infancy. So people didn't even understand basic nutrient requirements for humans, let alone dogs, cats, horses, pigs, and, and you know, all the other animal species that we keep and, and feed on a regular basis. So the, the idea of having one fixed formula that meets everyone's needs was a, a novel concept for our current society, basically. And the early dog foods, there was a lot of gaps and there were a lot of deficiencies. And the industry as a whole has progressed as the field of nutrition has expanded. And as we, we understand what the amino acid requirements are and the vitamin and mineral requirements are for dogs in general, and there's a lot that we're still discovering. We're learning, the, the field of nutrition is learning, uh, you know, we're understanding the role of fiber in diets and probiotics and prebiotics and some of the phytonutrients that come in from fresh fruits and vegetables. And that is still, you know, so the field is still developing. But the one thing we do know is what the basic requirements are for dogs. And that's been known since about the 1980s. So I would say anything you find on the shelf that's labeled as a complete and balanced food for whatever life stage, puppy or adult dog, is meeting all of the basic nutrient requirements for the dog. Puppies have higher energy requirements and higher requirements for things like protein and certain vitamins and minerals. And so a puppy diet is going to be balanced and designed to be fed to a growing puppy. You can feed it to an adult if you want to. It's just more a healthy adult. It's just more nutrients than they absolutely need. And it typically carries a, a slightly higher price tag as well because of those added nutrients. So anything that you find on the, on the counter, whether you buy it at a pet store or a specialty boutique or at the grocery store, is going to meet all of the basic nutrient needs. Now, premium is a marketing term purely. It means absolutely nothing in terms of the quality of food. A lot of people want to you know, have it apply to a specific quality of ingredient or quality of finished product, but really premium from a marketing standpoint just means something that costs 20% over the market average. So when you see the words premium on a, pra- on a package, you automatically as a consumer, as a pet owning pet owner who's looking at the shelves, if it says premium, you're paying for the package. <laughs> Unfortunately. <Good to> know. <laughs> so premium premium doesn't have any regulatory or any enforcement. It's just a marketing term. Hmm. There are a lot of good foods that are labeled as premium and there are a lot of good foods that don't aren't labeled as premium. So, you know, it's so that's that's all marketing. Complete and balance is what you're looking for. When you look at things like grain free or high protein a lot of that is marketing terms as well. If it says complete and balanced, it means it has all of the vitamins and minerals, amino acids, fatty acids, everything your dog needs. Now, when you're looking at it, so everything, if you're assuming everything is going to meet your animal's needs, the next question is, you know, it meets the average dog's needs, but does it meet my dog's needs? Mm-hmm. And, and so there are individual dogs that do better with certain ingredients in or out of their diet. I don't think grains are necessarily bad for dogs as a whole, just like grains aren't necessarily bad for people as a whole. And grains, whole grains especially, have a lot of fiber in them. And some dogs, especially larger breed dogs, need more fiber in their diet. Otherwise, they have recurrent and constant intestinal upsets, which make owners upset because they're cleaning up things that are harder to clean up. Mm -hmm. So... So fiber does have a role, and I, I mentioned earlier that we're just starting to scratch the surface on the the healthfulness of having things like fiber in the diet. So mm-hmm. if an animal has an allergy or a sensitivity to an ingredient, I absolutely try to avoid it. 
and will avoid it in my recommendations. But I don't. There's nothing that I would avoid necessarily for a healthy dog. So when you're when you're in the pet food aisle, then. What, what are the key things for positive or negative that we should be looking for that will kind of help us navigate and figure out you know, which one is right for my dog, unless my vet specifically yeah. said, use this? Yeah, so, I mean, if, you're, if, if you have uh, a veterinarian is recommending a particular formula, especially for animals that have medical, medical issues, so if the animal has kidney disease or diabetes or a food allergy, then you absolutely want to follow what that veterinarian is recommending because those therapeutic diets or specific diets are designed to treat a medical condition. And and so it's almost like I, I look at food in those situations as food is being used kind of like a, any other drug or therapy. It's being used to treat a condition. So we don't want to start changing things around too much. But if you have a healthy dog and you're looking at all of the different options, um, then some of, you know, a lot of it comes down to personal preference. Are you looking for, you know, are you trying to avoid, you, you GMOs, or or do you feed? You want to feed organic to yourself, your family, including your four-legged family. Are you trying to? You know, I've had a client who was allergic to, who was allergic to tilapia, mm-hmm. personally. So we had to avoid you know, diets, commercial foods, and this was a home cooked diet that included tilapia. And so, if you have, if I have individual owners or other family members that have issues, then I may avoid certain foods. I had another case during my residency where the the dog was allergic to chicken uh, but the cat was being fed a chicken-based diet and the dog would get into the cat food so well then everyone gets the restricted diet in that situation the cat <laughs> didn't have a problem the cat had to eat right <laughs> had to exactly. eat venison too well, so then I look at what are the needs of the individual animal Right, and you just mentioned something that is huge trend right now, the organic stuff and everything that it's, it's everywhere you see that. But the other trend that's out there that, I'm, that, I'm, that I personally am working with right now with my own dog with the help of my veterinarian is raw feeding. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Tell me about a parent who might be interested in exploring that. What, there, there's a lot out yeah, there about so, it. So there is, and, and I think raw feeding and fresh food feeding has become more – I don't want to call it trendy or more popular, and, and it's getting more visibility with pet owners. The raw feeding started as, you know, kind of a little bit of, and I know you, one of your later guests is going to talk about raw feeds, and so I don't mean this to be offensive, but it's kind of this kooky fringe idea from about 20, 30 years ago. You know, most people didn't feed raw meat to their diets, and it was focused on a raw meaty bone profile. The, the concern I have with raw diets almost invariably comes down to the two things. I want to make sure that whatever is being fed to my patients and and dogs and cats at home is complete and balanced. So it's meeting all of their nutrient needs. With adult animals, you can get away with a lot in terms of unbalanced diets. And it's not the, the first week, the first month, even the first year of being on an unbalanced diet that's a problem. It's a few years down the road when something you know, the animal gets injured or gets sick with something else and doesn't heal and doesn't recover well. So I'm thinking about diet in terms of the entire lifespan of this animal. I want to make sure they're getting all of their nutrient needs met. So if you take diet balance out of the equation, say absolutely you can make a raw, a diet that's based on raw meat and other ingredients and make it complete and balanced so they meet all of the nutrient needs, well, that's, that's great, but I still have the concern about raw meat itself and pathogens, things like salmonella or campylobacter or E. coli. And there are ways that you can handle raw meat 
to decrease exposure for the animal. But the animal's not the only one who's being exposed to the raw meat. It's the people who are handling it. Mm-hmm. And and nothing is, it, when you're talking about truly raw products, nothing is 100% mm-hmm. safe. Right. And, right. and so then, then I look at, um, you know, for the individual animal with commercial dry kibble, so extruded diets, they are less digestible than a fresh food product. And the digestibility changes. So a fresh food product, if you feed a a raw meat-based diet that has, even if it has cooked grains and vegetables in it and is complete and balanced, it's probably about 90 to 95% digestible, meaning 90 to 95% of what you feed is getting absorbed by the animal and only 5 to 10% is coming out as poop, Mm -hmm. which is what most owners are are concerned about on a daily basis too. How much much am I cleaning up in the yard and hopefully not in the house? And then when you look at commercial dry foods, commercial dry foods are only about 80% digestible for an over-the-counter diet. And even therapeutic diets that you buy from the veterinarian are only going up to about 85. Mm-hmm. And that just has to do with the way the ingredients are handled and the way they're cooked together. It just decreases the digestibility. And digestibility just means how much poop is made. Right. <laughs> so, so when you're looking at you know, comparing the two diets... A fresh food diet, whether it's cooked meat or raw meat, is more digestible than a dry kibble and often is more digestible than a canned diet, too. And so there are some animals that do do very well on anything you feed them. Dry, canned, raw, cooked, it doesn't matter. They're easy keepers. And I have other patients that need a consistent diet and a diet that has a low water content because otherwise they get diarrhea. Mm-hmm. And so feeding that dog a dry food actually is the best match for that individual. Right. But I've also had, had, had patients and, and worked with dogs who need a more digestible diet, whether it's, uh, whether it's a cooked meat diet or a raw meat diet, that's just the best individual, you know, for that individual, that's the best diet match. Right. So I look at if everything's equal, what does that animal need? Can we feed them anything? as long as it's balanced, or do they need a very specific diet to meet their individual dietary needs? That makes perfect sense. And, and we're unfortunately running out of time, but um, yeah. I think the <laughs> most important, no, it's all, it's, all it's, it's fantastic. I think the most important thing that I'm hearing, and I, I heard you say it a couple of different times, is it's, a, it's all about the individual dog, and which means you need to have a great relationship. You need to communicate with your veterinarian yeah. because clearly they're going to be able to help to steer you uh, in the right direction. And it's, and you know, if we just go blind leading the blind, it's, it's could be a problem. But I want to thank you so much for your time today, Dr. Wade. And then can I add, can I yeah, add one more thing? Of course. And I would, the one, the one thing I would add is when, you know, cause I, I, don't, I probably didn't answer your question very clearly on how to pick diets, but you know, if you, if, if an owner's at a, at a pet store, at a boutique store and something just looks fantastic, you know, mm-hmm. absolutely. If your dog is healthy and you don't have any restrictions, try it and see how your dog does for give it. I usually give it three to four weeks after three to four weeks. If they're still looking good, if they're still acting, you know, fine, rambunctious, playful, their stools are normal, their coats look good, continue another for another month. After about three months, you'll start to notice if the coat starts looking not as lustrous and maybe even take before and after pictures. Mm-hmm. Or if you have any issues with stool, then that's not the right diet. And what I've, for that individual, and what I've come across in practice is owners who get uh, very attached to a particular diet line, 
mm-hmm. or feeding style, whether it's home cooked or a particular brand of dry food, uh, something they find at the store, they get attached to that brand, but their animal's not doing well on it. So I'd say always come back to how your how your dog dog is doing, and if their normal stool, you know, it's complete balance, normal stool, happy, healthy, they look fantastic. Then I would say continue. They don't don't change what's working. Yeah, I, you know what, what I just love about what you just shared is you're basically saying, let's set up an experiment, let's be scientific about it, let's exactly. analyze the data. I love that. That's perfect. Well, thank you so much yeah. for coming on, Dr. You're Wheat. welcome. Really important stuff for us to hear. Gosh, I wish we could have spent the entire hour with you, but, you know, time is what it is. 